At this time, the children can be uh, free to go to children's church. That's kids uh, second grade, uh, kindergarten through. Oh huh, dear, is it second grade or fifth grade? The second grade. That's how it's supposed to be usually. So kids, you know who you are. And um, this morning, Jeremy is filling in for a friend of this church, a, a mentor of Jeremy's, uh, Ray Pendleton, who is uh, filling in as interim pastor at Tremont Temple. So Jeremy is preaching at Tremont Temple this morning. And with us today, we have a special friend of ours, Darren Prince, and he's going to be bringing the gospel. Um, you know, it's one of the exciting things about being in this church and, and you know, being part of the ministry over the years is seeing folks in this congregation called to the mission field. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to pray for John and Cindy Norton as they're getting ready to go for a couple months over to Uganda and uh, just see what God is doing in their lives. And we just heard from Sean and Liz Keith and uh, the, the amazing work that they're doing with Athletes in Action. And uh, we have Pam Prince, who grew up in this church, uh, Pam Visser grew up in this church and married Darren Prince a few years back, right here uh, in this place. And uh, here they are, continuing on in the work and, and seeking what the, the Lord is going to do with them. And uh, you're going to love Darren if you don't already know him and, and don't already love him. And his heart for the Lord and his heart for those uh, in need. Darren, will you come and share the word with us? Good morning to you. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. It's really a blessing to be around here. Pam grew up here, my wife, and uh, we are married right here, as was already mentioned. And uh, it's just great to be around, and we're really grateful to be um, prayed for by you guys as missionaries sent out uh, to San Francisco. Uh, I don't know how many of you know, but we work with a group called Interchange. Uh, We work specifically among the poor, and in San Francisco we're uh, investing our lives in the homeless of our city. If you've been in San Francisco, you've probably stepped over or walked past a lot of the people that live in the doorways of our businesses and restaurants and churches and homes there in the city, and you've seen what I'm talking about. Anyways, we are, we are sent by this church, and we're really grateful for your financial support as well as your prayer. So it's just great to be with you. Um, Let me pray before we get started. God, we invite you into this time. We know you're already here. We thank you for your word and for your spirit. I pray that um, nothing would be heard that would not um, come from you and from your spirit. We pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see your love for the poor. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a favorite book? If you kind of think right now, what is your favorite book that you just love? I I was sort of a literature guy in college. Um, Besides studying ministry, I I loved English literature. So my book going way back all the way to ninth grade when we first read it was Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. That's a good one. My kids have a favorite book right now. It's called Wibble Waddle. I don't know if you know that. How Does a Duck Walk? Wibble Waddle. It's kind of exciting. We, trust me, we read it quite a bit, over and over again. Um, I would say probably Pam's favorite book these days is a cookbook, believe it or not. 
It's uh, 365 ways to cook grains, beans, and rice, <laughs> which I think we've tried 300 or so of the 365 ways. So that's exciting. Um, what's your favorite book, and why do you like it? Do you keep going back to it as a source of inspiration or refreshment, or you know, when you're just tired of life and you're ready for a new kind of story or a different kind of story? Let me tell you, you guys have been going through the Gospel of Luke here at this church, and I've downloaded some of the sermons just to kind of prepare for this and to journey with you guys. Um, I don't know if you know this, but throughout the world, people who work among the poor, and especially those of us that are with Interchange, um, we've got staff in Cambodia working with women coming out of prostitution, and orphans in Romania, um, um, kids growing up in the barrios of Caracas, Venezuela, Throughout the world, our staff are inspired by and are fueled by their study of the Gospel of Luke. Why is that? Why that specific Gospel? Um, we, we look to it on a regular basis. Our communities gather wherever we are throughout the world every couple of weeks, and we read a passage of Luke together, and we talk through how is it that we're seeing what we're living out on the streets of our slum communities or in the inner city of the United States, how is it that we're seeing this paired up to the gospel? And I'll tell you why. There's a couple great reasons. The first of all is we're really inspired by the journey theme that you see in Luke. I mean, Jesus is on his way somewhere, and you guys have already crossed that point by being in Luke chapter 12. You've crossed that point where Jesus has set his face, remember, resolutely on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to die on the cross. And for those of us who are working among the poor, it feels like a really long road trip. And so we're inspired by Jesus' kind of journey towards Jerusalem. We also love the emphasis on all the meal times. This is where Pam's cookbook comes in. Jesus is, and Luke is constantly um, invited over or inviting himself over or breaking bread with people, everywhere from Emmaus at the end of the book to um, inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house. This is the only gospel that's got Mary and Martha and that whole story. There's a, there's a real focus on mealtimes. And you know what? Those of us who are working with the poor also realize that mealtimes are really big. It's one of those intimate times where we can say, we're friends. We're together. Um, come join me. Join us in our house or join us at the church and let's share a meal together. But probably the biggest inspiration to those of us who are working with the poor is this justice theme that I, I don't know if you've picked up on. I think Jeremy's preached on it a couple of times. But it runs all throughout the whole gospel. And it's, it's got an, an emphasis on... Luke pays special attention to the life of the outcast and Jesus' interaction with the marginalized and the people on the fringes. Are you starting to recognize some of that in this study that you guys are marching through? Um, those of us who work with the poor are really inspired by this. And we look at it continually. So the way we, the way we get together and, we, and we, we read a text is we say, how are we seeing a little bit of what Jesus is doing here in our lives and ministry right here on the streets of our cities. That's how we do it. So what I realized is, you know, Jeremy's got a year, maybe two years. I don't know how long he's going to take to get through this book. I've only got 40 minutes with you, maybe 30 minutes. If you were to come to my neighborhood and we only had 30 minutes together, I'd want to take you on a driving tour of our life and ministry in the neighborhood. I wouldn't have time to walk around. I think you guys have been kind of doing the slow walk through the Gospel of Luke. You've got time to window shop, time to pop into a little cafe and do this or that. You know, you're taking your time. 
But we've only got 30 minutes, and I want to give you a little bit of a review, looking back on where you've been so far in Luke, but tying together some of that justice theme. So we're looking at Luke with these upside-down glasses, because we're talking about Jesus' upside-down kingdom. The way he takes everything and turns it upside-down and looks at it differently. So another way to, to look at it would be, if you were to pull out a highlighter, and it was kind of your Jesus justice highlighter, where in the first 12 chapters, where you've already gone in this, in this gospel, would you see evidence of Jesus' heart for the poor, of Luke's attention to Jesus' care for the poor? Where would you see that? So, so buckle in. I'm a good driver. Trust me. Uh, we're going to go on a little driving tour through this first half of the Gospel of Luke. And along the way, you've already had great teaching on this, so I don't want to be as expository. And as you can see, I've got nine points here. There's no way I'm going to get through them all. All right? I can't preach each of these texts, but I do want to kind of take a snapshot, just kind of drive by each one of them, highlight them with our justice highlighter, and then give you a few stories from our ministry in San Francisco about how they interact. So you know what? Right off the bat, it starts with Mary and her response to seeing Elizabeth. She's got Jesus in her womb, the Messiah, the coming king, and in Luke chapter 1, this is on um, page 1013 in your pew Bible, if you've got that. She leaps out in song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And look at verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Right from the beginning, before Jesus is even born, Luke inaugurates a theme of the humble being lifted up and the exalted being lowered. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a contrast here that's really important, and that's the spiritual contrast between the humble poor. You guys have already talked about this. The humble poor and the haughty or arrogant rich uh, a great story about this from, from our, my own life and experience was right when we were first getting to know homeless people on the streets of San Francisco, I realized I needed experience out on the street because I had no, no sense of the culture or the people or anything like that. And so I wanted to actually live out on the streets for a little while. This is before we were married. Um, I'm lucky that I actually got to marry Pam, given that her parents knew I had stayed out on the streets a couple of times. Uh, I needed a mentor, and so I found this guy named Joe, who was a believer, who had lived on the streets half his life. And he actually moved in with me into my house while I was still a single guy, and he was learning how to live inside, but he was also teaching me how to live outside. So just for four or five day stretches at a time, I would go out with a couple other people, and Joe would kind of be our mentor or our coach. So here I am, this kind of suburban bred and born Wheaton College graduate guy with my education. I had thrown off the Wheaton sweatshirt earlier and put on the black hoodie that's kind of common of homeless people in our city. And I'm camping out in, in Golden Gate Park, and Joe is kind of my mentor. He's teaching me where to find the right spots. 
and uh, how to avoid uh, the gardeners who show up kind of early in the morning and how to avoid camping at someone else's spot so that you don't end up with a rude awakening in the middle of the night. And uh, I'll never forget one of the first mornings that I was out there, not really knowing what I was doing. I woke up cold. I was hungry, um, kind of ready for a cup of coffee. And here comes Joe, who had taught me what it was like to live on the street. And now he's living inside, and he's spent a night in the house. Nice and warm and cozy. He walks up, he's got his $4 latte from Starbucks. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there on the sidewalk, and I, and I, I catch myself, I'm about to say it, but I, I have to say it, I'm like, Joe, can you spare a dollar for a cup of coffee? And I suddenly realized, you know what, the whole thing has been reversed, and this college-educated kid is learning what it's like to be on the streets, while the guy who's grown up half his life on the streets is bringing his $4 latte on the street to check up on me. Now, I realize that's kind of a radical picture, but there's a real sense of what Mary is getting at in this, in this exaltation where she's kind of quoting a whole bunch of psalms. She's saying, the gospel turns things upside down. And suddenly it's the people who are wealthy and educated and think they've got it all together who have to learn all over again what it's like to live, to be dependent, to trust God, to be humbled. And I love the fact that there's something in it for Joe, too. I don't think it's about growing up and having $4 lattes and living inside. I hope that's not the kind of kingdom life I'm, I'm teaching him to live either. But there was something really beautiful about the role reversal there. Um, Jeremy highlighted this when he preached on this. I downloaded some of these sermons, which is really fun to do to prepare for this. And he talked about kind of that theme of inversion, of the lowly being exalted and the exalted being uh, brought low. You know what? You can see it immediately on the next page, too, 1014. Um, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus' story is, is born. He's born into a story that involves the working people of his day, the, the poor. And, uh, and it, it includes the announcement of his coming right there to the shepherds that are out in their field. And these guys are known as the dishonest, the unclean, the working poor kind of outcasts of their society, which is kind of why they end up camping out in the field with their sheep. These guys are the first recipients of the good news. Do you remember, Jeremy? At, uh, I was actually here for this. Um, December 25th or 24th, the Christmas Eve service, Jeremy was up here dressed as a shepherd. And he had kind of worked really hard on that working class accent with the, you know, with the, you know, the flannel on. I think he'd grown out his beard. I'm not sure what he was saying because I already have my beard going, but he was trying to look scruffy and, and he was communicating that the, the good news was communicated to the shepherds of his day. Even in Jesus' birth, he was born into a nowhere town to a, no, a, a nobody set of parents. And the announcement of the coming king was shared with shepherds out in the out in the field. All right, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep driving driving through the neighborhood here and driving through this gospel of Luke. Look at look at John the Baptist's announcement of Jesus as he walks up. This is early on, even before Jesus' ministry starts, John the Baptist has something to say about who Jesus is, and it's taken from Isaiah. Look at Luke chapter three, verse four. It's preaching the way of repentance. A voice of one calling out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, 
the rough way is smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John here is preaching repentance, but it's a repentance that is, is both interior and exterior. So you see sort of a leveling of things, things being put right, and it's being put right not only in our hearts, but also in society. Prepare for the way for the king. Make the roads flat. Make an, make an entrance way for the king. And that also includes this sort of, this upside-down justice that Jesus seems to be about. You know, Joe with his $4 latte and me asking for spare change. What, is, what does that look like in the kingdom of God? It means I'm learning to be dependent. The, the, the rich, wealthy guy who grew up not needing anything. Part of my repentance is learning to stop and to be humbled and to listen to God and say, God, what do I do next? It, this is images of repentance. The, the crooked roads being, becoming straight. The rough ways being made smooth. Again, the humbling of the proud. And then look at verse three, or chapter 3, verse 10. The crowd that's listening to John the Baptist says, okay, what should we do then? And John's response in verse 11, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Then he turns to the tax collectors. Look at verse 13. Don't collect any more than you're required to. And to the soldiers, don't extort money. Be content with your pay. Now this might sound really controversial, but it's pretty hard to ignore that. Even before Jesus gets a word out, John the Baptist is saying something about life in the kingdom of God, something about following this Jesus who turns things upside down, is, is partially economic. It has something to do with, with how we value things and people and money. The man who has two tun- tunics should share with him who has none. The fruit of a surrendered life in the kingdom of God has bearing on how you care for the poor and the unfortunate. Now, am I saying that this is how you earn your salvation? No, not at all. But it's the fruit of repentance that's not just inward, but is an outward expression of, okay, because I'm following this Jesus who turns society upside down, how am I caring for the poor as a wealthy person? You know what's interesting is, almost a year ago now, when Hurricane Katrina happened, along the Gulf Coast, homeless people in San Francisco were so moved by the need and devastation that they saw elsewhere in the country. We're talking about people um, who barely have anything themselves living on our streets. We're moved by that. And I remember one guy named Lester about a year ago, sometime in September. You should see Lester. He's, uh, he's quite a character. He wears his, he wears his sort of Strange-looking helmet, and he's got kind of a—he's well, got sort of a cross between Ozzy Osbourne and—I um, don't know—I can't even describe this guy. He's got long hair. It's just sort of a scene. I'm sort of scared when our son Jesse's around him because of—he just looks so scary. It looks like something from a, a childhood uh, nightmare. Lester comes up to me and he says, "You know what? These people in in in, in Katrina—they don't have anything." Can we, maybe we ought to collect stuff because a lot of us go through trash and we go through dumpsters and we find stuff. We put it in our shopping carts. Maybe we've got extra stuff that we can share with them. And suddenly I, I, I realized, here's a person who is actually trying to, he, he was starting to investigate what it was like to follow God. 
We had a relationship because he would come to our church weekly to this dinner that we would put on for the, the poor and the homeless in our area. And here's Lester saying, you know, I'm not sure I know about, about God, but I feel like we ought to help these people in their time of need. And here's people who barely have anything. There's also a word here to people that I know who have huge shopping carts full of stuff and have a little bit of a, I don't know if you've seen this around town or in Boston or something like that, a little bit of a habit of collecting way more than they need. I mean, they've got everything and it's piled up in one shopping cart, tethered to a second shopping cart, and they're trying to maintain both while they move down the street. The one, don't uh, look at verse 13, don't collect any more than you're required to. He says that to the soldiers, but it, it also sounds like a word for us and a word for guys even living on the street who might be collecting more than they need. What does it mean that a guy named Lester would want to share what he has with people who have lost everything in a hurricane? All right, that's all before Jesus even gets started. And yet, take a look in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, Jesus sets out to share his mission statement. Kind of the, the purpose, the programmatic purpose of what he's going to be about. He announces in his hometown in a church by standing up, opening up to the text in chapter 4, verse 18. He's quoting from Isaiah 61. This is on page 1018 in your pew Bible. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, to proclaim good news. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is sort of the scaffolding or the architectural design of what Jesus wants to be about. As he inaugurates his mission and ministry, he says, I want to build 100 churches in 10 years. Or, you know, I want to launch a thousand... You know, no, he says, I want to preach good news to the poor. And I want to, I want to invite the captive to go free and recover sight for the blind. Again, the poor here in, in the biblical text is about an economic condition, but it's also about a spiritual condition. Um, I, I want to I preach good news to the humbled heart who's ready to receive and to repent. I want to proclaim freedom to those who have repented, forgiveness of sins, as well as a literal sense of release from oppression. This is what Jesus says he's about. He wants to proclaim jubilee. The, the, a di- there's a different way to live here. And that's a lot of times what we say to homeless people that we meet who are addicted to drugs or who are, are caught up in street violence in our city. We say, hey, wait. There is a different way to live here. Do you realize that there's a, there's a different kind of life that you can be called to? It doesn't all have to be drugs and the next hit and a way of violence. If, you were to, if, if we were to drive through our neighborhood right now, you would see different murals going up. Our, our neighborhood is full of public artwork, displays of murals along the walls. And the way murals begin is the artist kind of sketches out the outline of each shape before he adds color. And then goes back over time, and you can kind of see this happening alongside the wall. You see the shape, 
before you see the coloring. And I think what Jesus is doing here in Luke chapter 4 is he's painting a mural, and before we see the full thing, we see the shapes. He says, this is what my ministry is going to look like. It's going to be good news to the poor. It's going to be release from oppression. Well, what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just preach about it or proclaim it. He actually does it. So look at, look at the next one in Luke 5 on page 1020 in the Pew Bible. He's hanging out with the bad crowd. I mean, he's hanging out with the sinners and the misfits. And this is where um, Jeremy told that story about the Grateful Dead guys hanging out in the parking lot here at the church. Some of you were around for that or some of you heard Jeremy preaching about it. But here, here's Jesus having just called Levi to be a disciple, to follow him. And the next thing Levi does is throw a big party. And look at verse 29 there of Luke chapter 5. This is Jesus living it out. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. An interchange, right there in San Francisco, we are convinced that we should be on their turf. We'd love to invite them to our house. We'd love to invite them into our church. In fact, we do a, a kind of a weekly dinner um, in both settings. One, one's in the house where our staff live. The other one's at the church where we, we bring in a whole bunch of people and we just feast together as a proclamation of God's kingdom among the poor. But we're also convinced that we need to be hanging out in the park and on the sidewalk and sitting right next to the people who are, I mean, let's face it, they're not, they're not the pretty people. And it's not just because they're homeless. A lot of times it's the mentally ill or the drug addicted. Sometimes it's people who are prostituting themselves, both men and women. We're convinced that these are the kinds of people that Jesus would be alongside in his day and age. And he's doing it here with Levi. He doesn't just say, I'm going to proclaim the good news from the arm's length, but he gets right up next to them, and, and he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And you guys have kind of already studied how eating with someone in that culture was a real sign of intimacy. It was a sign of, hey, we're going to be friends now. Here's Jesus doing that. You know, um, not that long ago, just this summer, we had a couple of interns who were hanging out, um, part, part of our team that, that we're leading, hanging out in the park, getting to know homeless people, and, and I don't know how you feel about this. I, I, it was sort of shocked me at first, but we found out that they had gotten to know a particular drug dealer in the park who is um, a, probably living on the streets, but also sort of perpetuating homelessness by fueling the drug economy around him. Um, because there's a whole lot of uh, stuff happening in the park that's both homeless people selling drugs, using drugs, etc. He asked some of our interns, I think maybe not knowing that they were missionaries or that they were Christians that had come to kind of be with him in the park, right in the midst of it all. He said, hey, can you guys watch my drug stash while I go do something else? You guys just stay right here on the hill and um, we'll be back and and I'll I'll be back later. But can you guys just kind of watch this? And they're like, "Uh, no, that's not what we're here for. But I suddenly realized, you know what? 
This is where Jesus would be at. He wouldn't be watching the drug stash, but he would have been asked the same question. And he would have been accused by the Pharisees, the religious people of his day. What are you doing out in the park? What are you doing out in the park with drug dealers? What are you doing in the park hanging around with homeless people? Don't you know that's not safe? Don't you know that that's, that's not a good witness? I'd love it if we were accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd as Christians. What would that, what would that look like for South Shore Baptist Church? Where should Christians be? Jesus not only lives it, but he continues to proclaim it. And look at, look at Luke chapter 6. Are you noticing that there's a little sign of the kingdom of God that's sort of upside down, that's, that's a, a word to the poor, or a word about the poor, in almost every chapter of this gospel? In chapter 6, it's the Beatitudes and the woes, the kingdom of God being proclaimed to the poor. Look at verse 20 of chapter 6 on page 1021. Now here he's speaking to his disciples, so he's saying, if you follow me, you're probably going to end up not making a whole lot of money. I need to tell you that up front. And later on he says, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have, uh, have nests, but I don't even have a place to stay. But right here he says, blessed are you who are following me, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And later on in verse 24, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. And I think this, this causes a lot of stress for those of us who have kind of grown up in a comfortable lifestyle because we're, we're sort of used to that level of comfort and we really want to tack on to this, especially in Luke because Luke leaves it out. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. But Luke doesn't put it in there. He says, Blessed are you who are poor. And I think by, by this, he's, he's articulating, and Jesus is even saying to his disciples, yeah, you're, you're poor because you're following me and there's not a lot, there's not a lot of extra money here, but it's, it's bigger than just money. Blessed are you who are, who are hungry, who are crying out because, you're, um, because you're, you recognize your sin. Blessed are those who are, who are weeping, because they realize their, their state. The, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated. It's not just an economic poor, as in the poor now, but it's to believers who are, who are humble, as well as those who have given up everything to follow him. Following Jesus may not lead to great riches, and it didn't in his time. So his followers were poor. And he says, yours is the kingdom. You guys have it. You know the secret. Because you're dependent on me. See, it's not a matter of how much money is in your checkbook. It's a matter of, where's your heart? Where's your sense of dependence, your humility before God? What, who are you looking to? You have the kingdom of God already with you. And the rich who are arrogant or haughty or dishonest or oppressive, Jesus is speaking to, is saying, your riches, you know, when you don't need me, when you're so arrogant that you think that you don't need God, you've already got all the comfort that you need. So enjoy it, because it's going to last a lifetime, but then it's going to be over. 
I brought my dad to our Bible study. We started a Bible study after this weekly dinner we do at the church. And this homeless guy called the, the Bible, started calling the Bible study Second Helping. I just thought it was awesome. You know, right after dinner, you can come to Second Helping, and it's this Bible study, and there's about 20 of us. And I tell you what, it is a ragtag group of people. I mean, the conversations that happen in this Bible study, I promise you, would not happen at any other Bible study you would ever, you would ever go to. And I brought my dad to it one night. He came to dinner. He was in town for a business meeting. And uh, he was staying at the Ritz-Carlton in San Francisco. I said, he said, hey, Darren, I've got the evening free. Want, let's hang out. And I said, all right, sounds good. Why don't you come to, to church and we'll do this dinner with the homeless and we'll do second helping. So my dad comes and he eats his dinner. And it's, he's just bombarded by smelly, um, half-crazy, uh, wonderful people who are, who are living out the kingdom of God right here in our church because we've got this great mix of people in the church and the poor shoulder to shoulder around the table. And then we go into Bible study. And this is, you know what, we've been surprised at the number of people that are showing up at Second Helping because it's actually, it's people who are hungry for God. And some of them are already believers and they bring a lot of depth to their understanding of the gospel. I mean, this is good news because they live in hotels or on sidewalks or curbs and their daily bread is something they're literally asking for every time. So I always feel like I'm enriched by my reading of the gospel with the poor because they've got insight into dependence on God in a a humble life that I don't even have. So my dad sits through this whole meeting and I'll tell you what, people were just a little bit crazy that night. And uh, we went around the circle and introduced ourselves. And later on, my dad said, you know what? I started to feel like maybe they were all normal and I was the crazy one. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, what? that could be true. But afterwards, we decided we wanted to spend some more time together. And so we, w- we went back to his hotel room. And I'll never forget, it was, the f- it was the night of the finale for American Idol just this year. And here we are, we're sitting in his luxurious room in the Ritz-Carlton. And he's, he's away on business, so someone else is paying the bill, right? Ritz-Carlton, watching American Idol, the final, you know, the finale. And, you know, my dad says, do you want to, are you hungry? Do you want to eat something? So we order room service because actually I always forget to eat at this dinner that we do for the homeless because I'm busy talking with people. So I'm eating a piece of fish that's probably $30. I can't, I can't even remember. And drinking a Coke that's $6. And where we've come from, compared to where we are now, is just mind-boggling. And here we are watching the, the finale of American Idol on TV, because that's kind of all we, all we know what to do at that point. And um, I remember watching it happen. Taylor Hicks wins, and he sings this song, Didn't I Make You Proud, or something like that. And I suddenly realized... The real life of tonight happened, the blessing, the sign of the kingdom happened in second helping Bible study with these crazy people who have a spin on the gospel that is directly meant for my heart. And the satisfaction of my $30 piece of fish and my $6 Coke and watching American Idol, which was sort of two hours of waiting for nothing, you know, it it faded really quickly. And suddenly a passage like this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are rich, for you've already received, or woe to you who are rich, you've already received your comfort. Suddenly that, it came alive for me. How temporary is our satisfaction when we're sitting in the Ritz-Carlton 
waiting for the grand finale of a show that, you know, the next day nobody cares. My last point, because I'm not going to get to all of them, is that um, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus uses, he refers back, he's, he, remember he's trying to convince John, who's starting to have doubts. John the Baptist is wondering, are you really the Christ? Is it who you said you were, are you who you said you were going to be? And in verse 22 of chapter 7, he says, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now look at that list of miracles again. The lame walk, the blind can see, the, lepros- the leprosy is cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And then what's this doing on here? The good news is preached to the poor? I think a lot of times we just read past that and we miss the fact that Jesus actually shows that as a sign of his kingdom. And where we're living it out, and, and you guys are sending us out in this, to live this out in the same way. In the, in the urban landscape, where everything's paved over with cement, we feel like we see little signs of the kingdom sprouting up through the cracks of the sidewalk. The good news is preached to the poor. And Jesus says, go back and tell John that this is another sign of my kingdom, that the good news is preached to those who are discouraged, who are downcast, who are the outcasts of society. And it ends up being our calling card in San Francisco as well. Do you realize that the, the, the people that are looking at us who are unbelievers in San Francisco see God's people ministering and caring for the poor and it's undeniable? And we can have apologetic arguments with them about truth and what, who is God and all this kind of stuff. But the, what they look at more than anything is how are we living it out? How are we caring for the least of these? And we've got more influence with our unbelieving culture in San Francisco. Liberal, left-wing, crazy. You know, I mean, you guys, you guys know about it. We've got influence with them because we are, we are God's church active in the world. And they see that and they can't argue with it the same way they can argue with apologetics. Jesus says, hey, if you want evidence of what I'm about... Miracles are happening, including the miracle of something like Second Helping Bible Study, where the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Hey, I want to encourage you guys to keep studying this, um, verses, uh, the, the points 8 and 9 that I put in your outline, as well as continuing in your, in your study of Luke to really focus on this. So what, is, what does this mean? Well, let, first of all, let me say, in looking forward, what you guys have to come for the rest of Luke are some great stories. The parable of the great banquet is coming in chapter 14. The rich man and Lazarus is coming in chapter 16. The blind beggar in 18. You've got a lot of stuff to look forward to. Can I encourage you? As I prayed about this and prepared, I realized there's something in this for South Shore Baptist Church. There really is. I, I feel like more than just for you personally, there's something for you as a congregation to pay attention to. So as you continue to march your way on your walking tour through the Gospel of Luke, would you pay attention to signs of the kingdom of God that are upside down, that are about the poor, that are about justice? Listen with those ears. Explore it in your personal study. Secondly, let me encourage you as a church. What does this mean? I would love to see us, then to see you guys as a congregation be welcoming 
to the outcast, to the people on the fringes, to the marginalized. And I realize it's going to look different for you here. You may not know the drug dealers in Golden Gate Park, but I'm sure you've got people at work or on your streets here. They're the people that are cleaning up after you in restaurants or bagging your groceries. These are the people that we we walk by and we overlook. How can we as a congregation here at South Shore Baptist be welcoming of the outcasts, the marginalized of society in our workplace, in where we live? I think you could be a blessing to those in need around you. Jesus says it's a sign of his kingdom. And so I don't want you to, to get a, a view of this gospel that, that says it's, it's extracurricular because Jesus actually says this is a part of what it means to follow me. It's not an optional add-in if you feel like it. I want to encourage you as a congregation to keep looking at Luke through these, through these lenses and to ask, where can we begin to connect with the poor and the marginalized in our culture? Thank you for letting us share. Um, we'll be around for another week. We'll be back here next Sunday just kind of visiting and, and being with you guys. Let me pray for you before we go. God, we love you and we, we love your heart for the poor and for some of us it makes us uncomfortable or uncertain and we're not sure what to do with it. But we know that you've called us to follow you and so, God, I pray that this congregation would follow you in that and that you would open our eyes to the people around us, to the hurting around us, um, to how we can give in a way that's in keeping with your kingdom. Not out of a sense of obligation or guilt, but out of a loving response to what you were about, your mission statement. Lord, bless us in that. You've given us so much, and and I pray that you would teach us to be responsible with that in a way that, that brings glory to your name and not to us. We thank you, God. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Darren and Pam, for uh, being with us and for.